It's great to be here with you this morning. Um, it's like old times having a pew full of imagers over there, so it's great having you guys back. Um, our visitors, let me say a special welcome to you guys. We're thrilled that you're with us this morning for sure. In the summertime, a lot of our people travel. It's always nice to have people who are traveling that come and worship with us. It really blesses us, and we hope that you are blessed by being here today. I do want to mention what's going on tonight. Tonight is our 18th annual area-wide worship service here at Netherwood Park. Um, Contrary to what my children might tell you, I don't like to be a nag, but I'm going to nag a little bit. You need to be here tonight. It's really important that you're here. You will be blessed if you are here, and you will bless others with your presence here tonight. So please plan on being here tonight at 5 o'clock as we worship um, our God together and with Christians from throughout the city. Also, I want to give a Project 6K update. Project 6K, for those of you who don't know, is our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park. We have challenged ourselves as a church to read 6,000 books of the Bible in 2016. And to date, we have read 4,257 books of the Bible. So we are well on our way to reading our 6,000. And I hope that you're looking forward to the uh, celebration that we'll have when we reach our goal and as we continue on past that goal and exceed it by, I'm convinced, is going to be a great amount. So good job. Please continue to read in your Bibles. Let's pray together. Father, we approach you truly in humility. Father, we have just been at the table and considered what you have done for us, what your son Jesus Christ has done for us. And Father, that humbles us. And Father, we're humbled when we think that we're able to actually enter into your presence, that you are hearing our prayers. Father, we're humbled when we consider that you have given us your word, you have revealed yourself to us. As we read earlier, Father, what are we that you would be mindful of us? And we're humbled by that thought. And Father, we just pray that that humility will carry over into our lives as we serve each other. And Father, we pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, over the last few weeks and for a few weeks to come, we're going to be having a conversation about spiritual discipline. We're going to be talking about spiritual disciplines. We've been exploring the importance of being disciplined in our spiritual lives. And as we've done that, we're looking at different spiritual practices. We're looking at a variety of spiritual habits that can bring discipline to our often undisciplined spiritual lives. And the spiritual disciplines that we're exploring are simply biblical ways of feeding our hungry hearts. They're biblical practices that allow God to transform our open and available hearts. We began this conversation by focusing on the foundational discipline of Bible study. And we saw that Bible study writes God's word on our hearts. And then we turned to the discipline of prayer. And we saw that the essential discipline of prayer, and in that that we're able to powerfully and effectively and continually pray, but we're only able to do that when we actually open our hearts to God. And when we open our hearts to God, then our prayers are actually messages from our hearts instead of just words from our lips. Last week, we focused on the disciplines of fasting and simplicity. 
And we saw that voluntarily denying ourselves the things that we crave and willingly reducing our dependence on our possessions fosters humility. It fosters humility in our hearts and it helps us set our possessions in their proper perspective. Not as the treasures of our heart, but as gifts from our God who owns our hearts. And humility and perspective will continue to be central themes today as we talk about the importance of having disciplined egos. We're going to talk about submission and service as important spiritual disciplines to help us keep our egos under control. We should probably take a moment to define the word ego just to make sure that we're all on the same page. So when I talk about ego today, what I'm simply talking about is a person's sense of self-importance. A person's sense of self-importance. So ego is a neutral word. It's neither good nor is it bad. We all have an ego. We all have a sense of our self-importance. So the question for us isn't whether we have an ego, because we all do have an ego. Really, the question for us is whether our egos are going to be disciplined or whether they're going to be undisciplined. Whether our sense of self-worth is going to be governed by humility or if our sense of self-worth is going to be governed by our pride. Whether our sense of self-worth is going to be driven by a perspective that looks up to God are governed by a perspective that looks down on our brothers and sisters and other people. Now, ego isn't a Bible word. Jesus never once uttered the word ego, but even though he didn't utter the word ego, he certainly had a lot to say about the dangers of undisciplined egos. In fact, the dangers of undisciplined egos and the importance of self-denial are central themes of Jesus' teachings. We'll find it throughout the Gospels. And the disciplines of submission and the discipline of service are at the very core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's consider for just a few moments a few of the many teachings from Jesus about having disciplined egos. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. If we want to be true followers of Jesus. If our desire is to be transformed into his likeness. Jesus tells us that we must deny ourselves. We must lose our lives. So what does that mean? What does it mean to deny yourself? What does it mean to lose your life? Well, we deny ourselves and we lose our lives by giving up the need to always getting our own way. We deny ourselves and we lose our lives by giving up the demand that things always go the way that we want them to go. We deny ourselves and we lose our lives by willingly giving up our rights for the good of others. A little bit later in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus puts it this way, chapter 9 and verse 37. He said, If anyone wants to be first, 
he must be the very last and the servant of all. We know that we live in a culture that tells us that being first is all that really matters. We live in a culture that tells us that other people are there to be used to help us become first. If stepping on someone else helps boost us to the top, then by all means we should step on them. That's what our culture tells us. If helping someone else means that they will help us in return to get to the top, then by all means help them. That's what our culture tells us. But in Jesus' kingdom, all that cultural thinking thinking is turned upside down. Jesus' kingdom isn't about self-promotion. It's about promoting others. Jesus' kingdom isn't all about helping those who can help you in return. It's about helping everyone. It's about serving all, serving everyone. In fact, Jesus would tell you that it's especially about serving those who aren't in a position to serve you back. And these aren't just words that Jesus spoke. It's the life that Jesus led. It's the submissive and servant life that Jesus led. It's the submissive and servant life that Jesus led all the way to the cross. See, we're not called to have disciplined egos just because Jesus said so. We aren't called to live lives of submission and service just because Jesus commanded us to live those lives. We're also compelled to live lives of submission and service because Jesus set that example because Jesus modeled that for us. And Jesus made our call to imitate his life of submission and service very explicit. He made that call very explicit just before he was crucified. It's a remarkable and familiar event that's recorded in the 13th chapter of John's Gospel. To set the scene, Jesus is sharing an evening meal with his apostles. And in the middle of that meal, he gets up from the table and he takes off his outer clothing and he picks up a towel and a basin of water and he starts washing the feet of his apostles and he dries their feet with the towel. Let's pick up the story in verse 12. Jesus, after washing and drying their feet, says, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. He says, I've set you an example that you should do as I have, you should do for others as I have done for you. He says, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, You'll be blessed if you do these things. So what's going on here? Well, obviously Jesus is setting an example. Obviously Jesus is teaching a very important lesson. But he isn't teaching a lesson. And he isn't setting an example about the importance of washing feet. Instead, he's teaching a lesson and he's setting an example about submission. He's teaching a lesson and setting an example about service. He's teaching a lesson and he's setting an example about the importance of disciplined egos. And he does it by washing feet. 
In Jesus' world, foot washing was a very important cultural activity, but it was also a very important practical activity. Everybody walked wherever they went, and they walked on dusty roads and dusty paths, and they were just wearing sandals. And whenever you entered someone's house, especially if you were entering for a meal, it was customary for a servant to wash the guest's feet. It was customary for them to do that because the feet were dirty. It was also customary to do that because no one wanted dirty feet in their face as they reclined around the table and ate a meal. No one wanted dirty feet in their face. And at this dinner, dirty feet are in faces because no one had had their feet washed. So Jesus reacted to the situation, and he reacted to set an example, and he reacted to teach a lesson about submission and about service. See, Jesus saw a problem at this dinner table. And the problem really wasn't the fact that there were dirty feet in people's faces. That wasn't the problem. The problem was there weren't any servants around the table. There weren't any servants at the meal. See, the problem was actually not a dirty foot problem. The problem was an ego problem. The problem was a self-importance problem. Remember, washing feet was servant work. And the problem was there weren't any servants available. There wasn't anyone submissive enough available to wash feet. Well, there weren't any servants available but one. There wasn't anyone at the table submissive enough except one. And imagine the scene when that one, when the Lord and teacher, when the master and Messiah, when he's the one that got up, he's the one that did servant work. And then imagine when he sat back down, reclined among them, among the clean feet, and he said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet. When he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Imagine when he said, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than the one who sent him. Imagine when he said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Imagine after Jesus did that and after Jesus said that, I have to imagine it was impossible for anyone at that table to claim that they were too good, too good to do servant work. And for us here today, after Jesus did all of that, and after Jesus said all of that, I think it's impossible for us to pretend that we continue to, can continue to give free reign to our egos I think it's impossible for us to pretend that we can continue to have an inflated sense of our self-importance. I think it's impossible for us to do that and still claim to follow in the steps of our Lord and teacher, Jesus Christ. And Jesus' submission and service didn't end there at the table with clean feet. See, Jesus didn't just pick up a towel and set an example of submission and service by washing away other people's dirt at the table. 
Now then Jesus picked up a cross. And he set an example of submission and service by washing away other people's sin on the cross. You'll remember the words of Paul that we read just before this sermon. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of an exaggerated sense of your own self-importance. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. He said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, as servants of Jesus Christ, we can't take the dirt that was on Jesus' towel. We can't take the blood that was on the cross. We can't take that into our hearts and then pretend that we can continue to give free reign to our egos. We can't pretend that it's okay to continue to have an exaggerated sense of our self-importance. We can't continue to pretend that it's okay to refuse to serve others. We can't pretend to continue to think that we're too good to serve others and still claim to be following in the steps of our Lord and our teacher, Jesus Christ. Man, if that, if that lesson doesn't resonate in our culture, I don't know what lesson will. We live in a culture where it's okay to have out-of-control egos, and we certainly aren't immune to the effects of that. And nothing disciplines out-of-control egos like, like submission and like service. We live in a culture where the disease of me-itis is epidemic. You're familiar with that disease, right? We'll bring up the next slide. Me, I see they even make t-shirts. Me, itis, it's all about me. See me, feel me, I've got me, itis. Notice me, serve me, me first, it's all about me. We live in a culture where me, itis is epidemic. And nothing cures me, itis like submission and service. And like the other spiritual disciplines that we've talked about and we will talk about, submission and service are, they're really simple. But man, are they hard. Submission and service are simple in the sense that we know how to do them. They're simple in the sense that we know what they look like. But they're really difficult because we find submission and service hard to actually practice. We find them hard to practice because our human natures cry out against submitting. Our human natures cry out against serving. Our human nature protests at the very idea of serving instead of being served. Our human nature cries out against submission and service because a submissive and serving life sounds like a path to slavery. And we're all about freedom. 
A life of submission and service sounds like a road to misery. It sounds like a way to lose our identity. It sounds like a means to just let other people take advantage of us. It sounds like a one-way ticket to losing our value, losing our esteem. But it's not that way in Jesus' kingdom. Submission and service in Jesus' kingdom leads us on a very different path than our human nature would have us believe. It's a very different path. In Jesus' kingdom, submitting and service don't lead to slavery at the hands of the people that we serve. Instead, it leads to the freedom that can only come from being enslaved to Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said. He said, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And isn't that what freedom is all about, is finding our life, finding who we are? See, when we pick up our towels, when we pick up our crosses, we find joy in submitting and serving. We discover true freedom because our happiness is no longer dependent upon always getting what we want. Think how liberating that can be. Because we know we'll never get all that we want. And if we never get all that we want and our happiness is dependent on that, we'll never be happy. And when we submit and serve, when we deny ourselves, when we discipline our egos, we discover our true identities it's there with our towel it's there with our cross when we find out who we were created to be we find out who we were called to be it's as we're submitting and as we're serving that we find that we're actually transformed into the image of the one who picked up his towel and picked up his cross And when we submit and serve out of love like Jesus did, we're released from the slavery of self-pity, the slavery of martyrdom. We no longer live in self-pity because of what other people are forcing us to do. Instead, we live in the joy of doing what we have chosen to do, live a life of service. We no longer serve hoping to receive sympathy for all of our hard work. We no longer serve hoping that we get admiration for those acts of service that we're performing. Instead, service becomes about others instead of being about us. And we're set free. We're set free to recognize that our value in Jesus' kingdom isn't based on how much power we can accumulate. It isn't based on how successful we are at promoting ourselves. No, we're able to recognize that we have value because God values us. We recognize that we have value because God uses us to bring value to others. And in Jesus' kingdom, Submission and service help to completely redefine our culture's definition of greatness. Matthew records this fascinating interaction between Jesus and his apostles. We're in Matthew chapter 20. 
This is just after James and John's mom has come to Jesus and asked that her boys be given elevated positions in Jesus' coming kingdom. As you might expect, the other ten apostles are indignant. They're angry about what their mom has done, what James and John's mom has done. So Jesus calls the ten together and he says this. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, just as Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, in Jesus' kingdom, you don't become great at the expense of others. Instead, you become great at the expense of self. You become great in God's eyes by disciplining your ego. You become great by submitting and by serving. See, submission and service actually bring freedom. And submission and service also bring transformation. Submission and service transform us. They transform us individually. They transform our hearts and they transform our lives into the image of the one who picked up his towel, who picked up his cross. They transform us from people who occasionally do acts of service into people who are actually servants. But I want you to know that submission and service don't stop their transforming work with us individually. It's not just about transforming us individually. Submission and service also bring transformation into places that are desperately in need of transformation. Because submission and service transform relationships. I want you to know that submission and service transform marriages. I'm convinced that almost all divorces are a result of undisciplined egos. They're a result of selfishness. They're a result of me-itis. And the solution, the cure is mutual submission. The solution and the cure is mutual service. The cure for our troubled marriages is picking up our towels and picking up our crosses. And I want you to know that the same is true of our church relationships. I'm also convinced that almost all church splits are a result of undisciplined egos. They're a result of selfishness. They're a result of me-itis. And the cure for church problems is submission. It's mutual submission and mutual service. The cure is to pick up our towels and pick up our crosses. In fact, just name your relationship. And I'll tell you that I'm convinced that the problems that we find in those relationships are because of undisciplined egos. And I'll also tell you that the cure is mutual submission. It's mutual service. And all those troubled relationships, all the problems that are in our relationships are made worse when we have a distorted view of who it is that's supposed to be doing the submitting. 
distorted view of who it is that's supposed to be doing the serving. See, submitting and serving won't transform relationships if only the people in traditionally submissive positions are the ones that are doing all the submitting and doing all the serving. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands. He tells children and slaves to obey their parents and their masters in everything. And that's right, and that's proper, but that's nothing new. That's exactly what was expected. In fact, that's what was enforced. Now, what's new about what Paul says, what brings transformation is when those positions of power, those people who are in positions of power act in in unexpected ways, in unenforceable ways. See, transformation in relationships come when husbands also love their wives. Transformation in relationships comes when fathers don't embitter their children. Transformation comes in relationships when masters also do what is right and what is fair. Who should submit and serve? Well, if we want relationships to be transformed, the answer is all of us should submit. All of us should serve. And the reason that I say that is because our Lord and our teacher, Jesus Christ, picked up his towel and he picked up his cross. I just want to end with a few suggestions of what the disciplines of submission and service might look like when actually applied to our lives. And the first thing I want to suggest is that these disciplines, submission and service, show themselves best when they're actually hidden. They show themselves best when they are hidden. Earlier I said that our human nature cries against the notion of serving I fully believe that our human nature screams against the notion of serving in hiddenness. When no one or very few people even know that we are submitting, even know that we are serving. The notion of hiddenness is when God is the only audience and human applause isn't even a possibility for what we are doing. The discipline of hiddenness The second thing I want to suggest and I want to encourage us to do is to focus on the discipline of small things. A lot of times when we serve, we like to go for the grand gestures. We like to be on the rescue missions. But actually we're called to serve and submit in millions of small ways each and every day. You've heard me say before that it's easy to say for me that I would take a bullet for any one of you. But ask me to die a little bit for each of you every day, that's more difficult. The discipline of small things. Number three, let's adopt the discipline of guarding reputations. The discipline of guarding reputations. By that I mean, let's adopt the discipline of not passing on rumors. Not passing on gossip. 
we can serve each other by simply letting those rumors and simply letting that gossip die their deserving death with us. It goes no further, the discipline of guarding reputations. Number four, an important part of submission is submitting to being served. I'm going to ask for a show of hands because I can raise my hand. How many people would rather serve someone than be served yourself? How many people have a problem with that? It's a problem that a lot of us deal with. See, I want to tell you, because I'm telling myself, not only are we not too good to serve, we're not too good to be served. The discipline of being served. Number five. I'm going to suggest that we recapture the discipline of common courtesy. The discipline of common courtesy. Did you know it's actually a service to say please? It's actually a service to say thank you. It's actually a service to say you're welcome. It's actually a service to RSVP to those invitations you get that ask you to RSVP. It's actually a service to be on time. It's actually a service to do what you have committed to doing. And on and on it goes. Let's make common courtesy common again. The discipline of common courtesy. Number six. Let's be hospitable. Let's practice hospitality. Let's break down barriers. Let's show our love. Let's show our acceptance by welcoming people into our homes. Practice the discipline of hospitality. And let's learn and practice the discipline of listening. Just listening. Just listening with compassion. Just listening with patience. Just listening. The discipline of listening. And finally, number eight. Let's learn and practice the discipline of bearing each other's burdens. Let's be people who don't feel the need to try and fix, but instead be people who just help carry. Let's be people who don't feel the need to try and solve, but be the people who just share. Let's be the people who don't run away from other, be- other people's problems, but instead be the people who walk alongside them in their problems. The discipline of bearing each other's burdens. Let's simply be a people. Let's simply be a church that daily picks up our towels. That daily picks up our crosses. That daily submit and serve. That daily follow in the steps of our Lord and teacher, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, our prayer is simple. Make us servants. Lord, make us like you. And it's in the name of the one who picked up his towel and picked up his cross, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. I invite you now to stand and let's sing and let's pray this prayer to our God. Sing.